we're going to be reading a passage out of Isaiah chapter 49. And this passage is one of four servant songs that we find in Isaiah. And all that really means is we have four songs that we find in the book of Isaiah that are either written about or from the perspective of a mysterious servant of God. And I say mysterious because we're not really sure who exactly this servant is. So Isaiah 49 verses 1 through 7, one of four servant songs. Let's read it together now. Listen to me, O coastlands, pay attention, you peoples from far away. The Lord called me before I was born. While I was in my mother's womb, he named me. He made my mouth sharp like a sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow in his quiver. He hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my cause is with the Lord and my reward is with God. And now the Lord says, who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the survivors of Israel. I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to the one deeply despised, abhorred by the nations, the slave of rulers, kings shall see and stand up, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say together, thanks be to God. It's a long passage, and I think it's easy for us to get lost in passages like that because they feel repetitive, and and we kind of lose track of it, and then by the time we jump back in, we've kind of forgotten what we just read. But I'm going to do my best to let the Scripture guide us in the message this morning because when I read that, after the third or fourth time, what I began to notice was three main elements that I think we see in this servant song, three things that kind of hold everything together. The first is a call, the second is a season of doubt, and the third is a realization and a willingness to live into a vision that God gives this servant. So let's work through the scripture, and and, and we'll talk about a few stories, but allow the scripture to guide us and perhaps see what we should be taking away from that this morning. In our scripture, it starts out, and God's people, Israel, has been defeated. Their temple has been destroyed. They've been taken to Babylon in chains. They've been alienated from their land and from their God. Because remember, without a temple, they had no place to worship, no place to sacrifice. They literally believed that the presence of God resided in the temple. So when the temple destroyed, they did not have a way to be in God's presence. And they find themselves in the midst of the Babylonian exile, which is something that we talked a lot about during the season of Advent because we stuck to Isaiah, and it's something that Isaiah is speaking into the midst of. So here we are again with a broken people trying to figure out who they are and who God is calling them to be in the midst of defeat, in the midst of exile. I would imagine them asking questions like, are we still God's people? 
How in the world can we worship in a foreign land? How can we claim to be God's people if we can't even be in God's presence? And it's into this crisis of community and of faith that Isaiah immediately begins to speak a word of hope. It's almost like I can picture him shouting from the rooftops, listen to me, oh people. That's how it started out. Listen to me, pay attention. Even if you're far away, hear this, that God has called a servant who will come and do justice. The first three verses of our scripture that we just read, I think hold what is the call story of our servant. I'm going to ask Jason to throw that slide up if he hasn't already, because I want you to see it as we track through. So I think the first three verses hold the, the call story. A servant who was called before they were born, called while they were still in the womb, which is something that we find elsewhere in Scripture as well. Remember the prophet Jeremiah also has a verse where he writes about how he was called in the womb to be a prophet for God, which is why even with the call story, even though we have a little bit of history about who exactly this servant is, we still don't really know And in fact, if you were to open up commentaries and read what people think about this passage, you would find that everybody kind of thinks the servant is somebody different. Is the servant a community? Is the servant the chosen people of Israel? Is the servant a person? Is the servant Isaiah? We as Christians have come to believe oftentimes that the servant that is being written about here is Christ and that the servant has come to do justice. I think the answer, if we begin to ask those questions, is not very satisfying, but I think the answer is is yes. The servant is Jesus, the servant is Israel, the servant is Isaiah, the servant is both a faithful individual and a community. I think the whole point of these servant songs is that we can't exactly nail down who the servant is, which forces us to see ourselves as the servant which is why we believe that surely there are servants among us today. On January 15th in 1929 in Atlanta, Georgia, a little boy was born. He was a middle child with an older sister and a younger brother. He was a healthy little boy who enjoyed singing in the choir as he was growing up. His father was a pastor. His mother was an organist. So maybe he didn't really have a choice, right? Maybe he had to sing in the choir. I don't know. In his autobiography, he described his mother as soft-spoken, easygoing, a devout person with a deep commitment to the Christian faith. He called her warm and easily approachable. He described his father as strong and self-confident, courageous and fearless, a man of integrity and of faith, deeply committed to moral and ethical principles. And I think most would agree that this child went on to inherit the best of both of his parents. His home was a home of love, which led him to understand God as a God of love. The boy, this little boy who happened to be a black little boy, was first exposed to racism when he was six years old. One of his best friends, who was his same age, someone that he had been best friends with since he was three, And though they lived in different communities, they managed to see each other every day over the course of those three years because that white little boy's father owned a business across the street from where he lived. But when they turned six was when they both entered into kindergarten. 
And of course, back when this little boy was born, schools were still segregated. So it didn't take long for that white little boy's father to tell his son, to tell his black friend that they weren't going to be able to see each other anymore because of the color of his skin. And this was the first time that a young Martin Luther King Jr. realized and saw for himself the race problem, specifically that because of the color of his skin, people weren't going to like him. People weren't going to want to be around him. People weren't going to see any sort of worth in him. And he writes in his autobiography when he retells this story that he remembers being about as angry as a six-year-old could possibly be. And his parents reminded him of his duty as a Christian to love that white little boy and to love that white family no matter how angry they were made him. And he remembers, I would encourage y'all to go back and read his autobiography if you haven't, because it is just so, it's such a good read. He, He remembers asking himself as a child how he could possibly love a race of people who hated him and who were responsible for breaking off one of his best friendships. And it's a question that he held on to for years. And some people say that that experience in his life is what really began his feelings of resentment towards that system of segregation and towards the racial injustice that he was living and was raised in the midst of. And I think, right, I think that this is a part of his call story. You see, really, he was just another black kid from Atlanta, but he was called. And we know that he went on to become a servant. I think the truth that we should see in the servant song that we read this morning and the truth that we should see in the story of Martin Luther King Jr. as a child is to remember that we are all called. That we all live with the potential to be one of these servants of the living God. But it's up to us to discern where and what it is exactly God is calling us towards. But you know as well as I do that just because we may feel called, just because we may know that we are called to go and do or to go and be something, it doesn't mean that we won't have seasons of doubt. And this is the case for our servant in the scripture. I want you to hear verse 4 again, and I think Jason's going to throw it up on the screen. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. The servant in our scripture is facing a really harsh reality at this moment that despite their work, despite their trying, the people that they love, the people that they have been called to serve, they are still in exile. They are still away from their home. They are still distant from God and they don't see an end in sight. The servant is called. They can remember how they were called. They know that they were called by God while they were still in the womb, and yet they still doubt. But then the servant remembers that surely their cause is with the Lord. During the course of his life to to work and to end segregation, King had plenty of time to doubt. And I'm sure you know this because many of you know his story and the story of the civil rights movement in Birmingham. His house was bombed. His family was threatened. He was jailed 29 times over the course of his life and his work in the civil rights movement. And I I believe that he certainly didn't see an end 
in sight. The bus boycott lasted for 381 days, plenty of time to doubt. Time after time, peaceful protests were met with, met with violence. If Martin Luther King Jr. was a human, which I'm pretty sure that he was, I have no doubt in my mind that he, at one point in his life, must have mirrored the words that we find in the servant song in Isaiah. I have labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing. Will this ever succeed? Despite all of our efforts, we are still being harmed with such little progress to show. And yet still I can picture him sitting in the Birmingham jail, sitting in our jail, remembering and resting in the truth that surely his cause is with the Lord. I think we too have plenty of time to doubt. Despite knowing that we're called to be the hands and feet of Christ, despite knowing that God God calls us to go out and be beacons of light, to share the gospel, to be peacemakers, to be people who love our neighbors, to be people who let the love of God guide our actions, and yet knowing those things, we still doubt. I mean, how could we not? We doubt our impact. We doubt our effectiveness. We doubt if we are even making a difference. I mean, after all, we're human. You're human just like, just like me. And yet, I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I just feel tired, right? I just feel worn out. I feel like I've labored in vain. I feel like I've spent my strength on nothing. I feel beat down. I think both the servant in our scripture this morning and when we look at the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., I think they set an example for us that when we believe we've been called, And we face seasons of doubt. We have to remember that surely our cause is with the Lord. Because the servant in our scripture and Dr. Martin Luther King, we know that they heard the call. We know that they encountered seasons of doubt. And yet it didn't stop them from working towards the vision. So what is the vision? What's the vision for the servant in our scripture? The vision for the servant in our scripture is larger than they could have ever imagined. The servant originally thinks that they are called to restore Israel, the tribe of Judah, in the midst of exile, to bring a scattered people back home, to free God's people from exile, and at last give them a chance to enter back into the land that God has given them. And if we just take that vision on its own, that sounds a little crazy to me, and it should sound crazy to you, that God is raising up one servant, one individual that will end the exile and will send God's people back home, freeing them from the grips of the most powerful empire in the land at that time. But then God reveals his vision for the servant and makes the servant's vision laughable. God's vision for the servant is this. I will make you a light to the nations that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. That is the vision that God gives to the servant. Not just that the people of Israel would be freed from exile, but that salvation would reach the ends of the earth, that there would be no person, no community, no nation that would not know of the salvation that we find from the one true God, that kings would stand and princes would prostrate themselves because of this chosen servant and how God is working and moving through them, for surely his cause 
is with the Lord. My guess is that the servant in our scripture probably couldn't fathom what kind of work or what kind of commitment or what kind of faith it would take to accomplish such an audacious vision. Because it was overwhelming. It was, it was unthinkable. But the servant knew they were called. And, and they were willing, through the power of God and the presence of God in their life, to live into that vision that had been cast before them. King had a vision, too, though he usually called it his dream. And I know most of you have probably read excerpts of this speech, but I just want you to hear it again this morning, the vision that King had for us and for this nation. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream that one day in Alabama, with its vicious racist and its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification, one day, right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. You see, Dr. King had a vision too. A vision that his people would no longer be divided. Perhaps that this time of exile would come to an end. King had a vision that injustice would be ended and that kingdom justice would reign instead. That little boys and little girls wouldn't have to endure what he did as a six-year-old. And instead they would feel loved and worthy for who they were instead of just the color of their skin, and they would actually get to go to school with their friends that lived in their neighborhood. And this vision, just like the vision that God gives the servant, is a vision that I think most people probably couldn't imagine when King delivered this speech in 1963. It was a vision that was hard to fathom, something that seemed impossible, but King knew, right, that surely his cause was with the Lord. I think we too have a vision, have been given a vision. A vision where all people would know Christ as Lord. A vision of a world that is devoid of racism, where kingdom justice were to reign. A world of peace, a world of equality, a world where the love of God reigns. And you know as well as I do that that vision is still being accomplished today. That we are still called to work towards that vision that God has given us that the kingdom of God is still being built, that justice is still being strived after, that salvation is still making its way to every nation and to every people. And there will be times when we doubt. But every single one of us is called to help build that heavenly kingdom here on earth because we know that God has called us while we were still in the womb, and we find the vision in Scripture. I think now it's just up to us to be willing to take action. Because yes, of course, this is a day, and this is a weekend, and tomorrow is a day to remember what Dr. King did, the movement he started, the lives that he changed, the courage that he lived with. But it is also a day for us to look at his life and look at how he answered the call of God upon his life, to look at the doubt that he pushed through and the vision that he embraced, despite how crazy it may have seemed, and ask ourselves, 
How is God going to use us? What is God calling us to do? What is God's vision for us here in Bluff Park, here in our communities when we go to work? What is God calling us to do? My prayer for us is that like Dr. King and like the servant in our scripture, that we would hear the call with clarity, knowing that God has called us to be workers in his kingdom. That we would have the faith and the courage to move past the doubt, whatever that may look like for us. And that we would embrace the vision that God gives us for his kingdom to come just a little bit closer to earth. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey friends, I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for tuning into our message this week in The Gathering. We hope you found it meaningful and life-giving. As always, you're invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., either in person here in the chapel or online. If you want to know more about who we are at Bluff Park United Methodist Church, you're invited to check out our website. There you'll find out who we are, what we have going on, and how you can be a part of it. As always, friends, if there's anything that we can do for you, you're invited to reach out to us. We are here to help you and support you in any way that we can. We hope that you're having a great week, and we look forward to seeing you soon.